So my, uh, my first ever gig in a restaurant was at this Burger and Shake Shack um, in Lexington, South Carolina. Uh, and I really sucked at it. I mean, it was not, I was not good. Um, and it was basically me at the window and, uh, somebody washing dishes and this like scruffy stoner dude with tattoos on the, on the grill. It was rough, man. Like it was hard for me. I was like 16. I'd never done anything like that. And, um, it was a pretty popular place in Lexington. So like, uh, it got really, it got really crowded and there was, it was, it was kind of a shit show and, and um, at the end of the shift, uh, we were we were hanging out, hanging out, kind of cleaning up the the back of the of the shack. And the, the dude comes up to me, and he's like, he's like, man, you just you just got to remember to keep your head. And when we get in the weeds like that, you just you got to know like we're at war. And I think I came back the next week and for my next shift, and it was all right, you know. But I still wasn't very good at it. And I thought, man, like 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 this isn't for me. Like I, I can't I can't work in a restaurant. But there was there was just something that stuck with me about um like that dude's like sage like warrior wisdom and calm and like um I mean it really stuck with me and and uh I just I that dude I really thought that dude was a badass. <laughs> My name is Scott Hall, and you're listening to Hello Restaurant, Goodbye World. This is the podcast where we'll explore restaurant, service, and cocktail culture. We're going to talk to some great people, and I'll let you come along on what's sure to be one of the craziest adventures of my career. After a lifetime in the food service industry, I've decided to open a restaurant. And the thing is, I should know better. guys <laughs> i appreciate you listening in so i've been a fan of podcasts a fanatic even for a decade and i've always wanted to make one but i figured you know there's no shortage of food and restaurant podcasts there's a lot of people who know a lot more than i do who are making them and so i i never really you know took it too seriously and then this restaurant came along and i figured what a great opportunity to kind of give people an insight into one of the hardest, craziest industries um, and how it just can totally change people's lives. Um, I've, I've worked with restaurateurs who were opening restaurants and just saw like what they were going through and, and you, you really sacrifice a lot and, and it takes a lot of dedication and it's, it's pretty crazy. So I thought that would be pretty interesting. So hopefully as we get moving and do more of these, the sound quality might get a little bit better. Um, <laughs> my ability to interview people hopefully will get a little bit better. And most importantly, we can all learn a little something from some of Columbia's best and brightest in food and drink, media, design, all the parts that make up a great restaurant. Each week, we're going to talk with someone involved in the restaurant and food scene in, in some way. Um, also, each week, my buddy Sam Swodom from the much-beloved ba uh, Bon Suan Thai Bistro is going to taste and talk about something really cool off of their bar list, their amazing bar list that he puts together. Um, Sam's a dear friend of mine, and, and he's one of my getting-in-trouble-with buddies. Uh, he's forever teaching me about wine and beer, so it's it's an honor and a treat to have him, him helping out. Um, also, as, as this gets going throughout the summer, I'm going to share some of the stuff we're going through as we open up our new restaurant, Bone-In Barbecue, at, at the new Bull Street neighborhood in Columbia, South Carolina. So, thanks for tuning in. Um, I'm super excited about this uh, experiment. Let's get started.
guys. So this is my very first podcast interview. I'm here with the illustrious and beautiful Eva Moore. Eva is the executive director of The Free Times. Is that is that right? Did I executive say? editor. Executive editor um, of The Free Times. Uh, and that's pretty, that's a relatively new development, right? Yeah, just about a month ago. Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Um, I recall... Uh, when I first moved back to Columbia that it seemed like most of the food articles were written by you. So I'm assuming that's kind of like a specialty of yours, a passion. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I started freelancing for free times, like almost 10 years ago is writing about food. And then I sort of joined the staff as like a food and city government writer. City government. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You you do a lot of politics writing. Yeah. 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 All right, Eva. (laughs) So first, before we get started, um, on the good stuff, the the meat, if you will. Um, I'm gonna make a cocktail. I'm gonna do a cocktail for every guest. This cocktail, I tried to put a little bit of you in it and a little bit of what's going on right now. As you know, are you a Game of Thrones fan? I am. Very good, very yes. good. We're very close, not this Sunday, I but the know. next. I'm freaking out about it. So excited. Yeah, I just went back and watched um, the last season and like did it, like, yeah, that's what I did yesterday, as a matter of fact. I stayed in bed and nursed a hangover and watched um, season six and that kind of gave me the my um inspiration for this cocktail which i'm calling um the sand snake um (laughs) because we love the sand snake so very much those nasty little martell women and their um beautiful and vengeful ways um this cocktail is basically a play on uh blood and sand which is a classic cocktail we're gonna do one part bourbon as opposed to scotch bourbon um we're gonna do a, about a half a part maybe a, a little less than a half a part of sweet vermouth um and i'm pouring this into a a, a boston shaker um filled with ice uh and we're gonna do about a little a little heavier than a half of a part of pamplemousse liqueur um pamplemousse and which is grapefruit for you non-lacroix drinkers out there so um, we're going to put a couple of jags of grapefruit bitters into there. And then we're also going to put a little pinch of salt, which is like the most underused um, cocktail ingredient out there. Um, and then we're going to stir that guy. Do you have a stirring technique? I do have a stirring technique. Please tell me about it. Um, so I'm using a, a traditional bar spoon. And as you'll see, um, the bar spoon has those little that little curly sort of area on the top. So the what I find is the best way, and this is certainly not my discovery, I, this is the reason that it's there, um, is to kind of hold it by that and then plunge up and down like, while twisting. And so the idea is that doesn't break up the ice, um, but it cools the drink down. And, you know, anytime you're doing a cocktail that doesn't have particulate matter in it, so it doesn't have milk, it doesn't have juice, um, it doesn't have an egg white, um, you're going to, you almost always, your rule of thumb is you're going to want to stir it. Um, if we added lemon juice um, or blood orange juice, which is traditionally what's in a blood and sand, um, or actually probably orange juice is what's traditionally in a blood and sand, um, you would shake it and mm-hmm. shake it fast and violently. I see all the time one of my biggest pet peeves in a bar is when you see them First of all, they shake everything, which is a, which is a damn travesty. Yeah. Um, Manhattans with Manhattans shards of ice in them, and and over diluted right. martinis that are over diluted, and little ice floating on top. A little, uh, it's awful. It's the worst. It is. Um, so you stirring avoids all that. You get it really, really cold. You don't get too much dilution from ice, just the right amount. You want to stir it until your hand starts to hurt on the on the metal. So see how that's all like icy. Mm-hmm. Your hand should start to not want to hold it anymore. You need to stir it a lot. What I was going to say, like a, a, a big pet peeve of mine for, for when you go to, to bars and you order something that should be shaken, is this kind of lazy, over-the-shoulder shake. Mm. That's nonsense. You want to grab that guy and shake the shit out of it. I mean, you want to <laughs> shake it. Um, you want to shake it fast and hard. And the idea is you want to probably whip a little bit of oxygen into the cocktail. You want to dilute the cocktail. Mm. And then you want to get it really cold. Really, really cold. Um, and you also want to break down and evenly sort of distribute, emulsify that particular matter, be it lemon juice, you know, if you're a, an awful person, sour mix maybe. Um, <laughs> so I did not bring my strainer in here, um, but we're going to be okay. I'm going to strain it with um, 
purple ingenuity instead. So we're pouring out of the used ice, we're pouring onto crushed ice for this sand snake. Crushed ice, look at how pretty that is. A little bit of that, a little bit of that. Um, and then we're gonna top it with some Pamplemousse uh, LaCroix, which is, as anyone who knows me knows that I am a great disciple of the Church of LaCroix. I think it is the greatest carbonated beverage ever made. It's It's got the perfect tightness of carbonation. It's just, it's magical. Yeah, we um, experimented with some other fizzy waters in our house in the last couple months, and they're, nothing's as good as the crow. Nothing is as good as the I didn't know crow. it was that special. Yeah, until... it's, it's, it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's got the perfect amount of flavor. Mm -hmm. um, it, it tricks you into to a little bit of sweetness, you know what I mean? Like a great rosé that's got all that strawberry and cream on it. When you taste it and it's hot outside, you, your brain sort of is tricked into finding this little hint of sweetness. Even though it's bone dry and there's no residual sugar, a great rosé is going to give you just this little sort of glance of, of strawberry shortcake. Um, you know, depending on the rosé. Okay, so here we go. So we're going to top that sand snake with a little Pamplemousse LaCroix. And I recently got into a fight. I get in fights about LaCroix a lot because <laughs> um, I don't have a lot of friends and I've got a lot of free time. Um, but it is pronounced LaCroix. I know there are some Francophiles who want to freak out about that and say it's LaCroix, but it is LaCroix. That is from the people that make LaCroix. Um, it is also, if anybody's interested, pronounced Neanderthal when you're speaking English. <laughs> and Paris. I don't say Paris. I'm not going to say Neanderthal. Okay, it's Neanderthal. Um, here you go. Here's your cocktail. Cheers to that. Unbent, unbowed, unbroken. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Nice? Yeah. Kind of light. Um, obviously light because we floated some um, sparkling water on top of it. It's nice. The salt really accents the bourbon well. Yeah. Kind of you it. know, yeah. like salt in cocktails, man, like is it's... Right? I put it, it in... I put it in gin and grapefruit type cocktails, but never with bourbon. It's I put it magic. in almost everything. Now, certainly not everything, but like almost everything. It's the same with desserts. Like I find that... If you double the salt in almost any dessert recipe, it always comes out better. It, it just adds structure, and in mm -hmm. cocktails, it really almost adds like a mouth feel. Like you, it's hitting all those areas in your your taste. You've got the sweet, you've got the bitter, and then when you bring that salty in. It's almost like you can feel the taste more than it actually affecting the flavor, which it does a little bit. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, it, I feel like it just gives the, the cocktail this kind of mouth feel. What's your What's Eva's drink when you go to a bar? God, my God. When you go to a cocktail bar. When I go to a cocktail bar, I'm probably going to tend towards some sort of a take on a Manhattan just to start. Um, often, maybe, with sort of like aged gin variants. I really... Nice. Gin, gin is probably my favorite of the liquors, although that's really hard to pick. Um but I love gin. Yeah, yeah. But just simple, you know. Gin and tonic was my big drink when I was a oh, see, I'm a, not a young rapscallion. Not not anymore. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I've ordered yeah, a gin and tonic. I'm not a gin and tonic person I used so to much. Love them, man. I love I love a martini though. I oh, love yeah. just how do you, you know, like your martini? A martinez. How do you order a martini? Uh so it would just be whatever vodka I'm feeling like. Oh, you you don't mean vodka. I mean, I'm sorry, God, I, I, was about to, I can't I was believe about I just to scratch said at that. your face like a cat. That's terrible. Yeah. Now, whatever gin I'm feeling like and fairly dry, but not insanely dry. I like mm. a twist. Um, you know, sometimes I'll... So do you order, when you order a, a, would you say dry? You want it dry? I say, I say dry. Honestly, though, this is all moot. I mean, I don't order a martini in a, at a bar. I'm going to order, I'm going to make a martini at home way right, before right, I'm going right. to order one at How a bar. How much vermouth do you put into your martini when you're making it at uh, home? So we're going to say like... If we're using, you know, two full, uh, what you might call them, shot glasses full of gin, we're gonna say a cap full of, of dry vermouth. Okay. So, uh, so maybe what like is if that? you say it's maybe, a... maybe one eighth. That's acceptable. Yeah. That makes me angrier than somebody. So, so for those people who don't know, the the drier the martini, that means the less dry vermouth right. goes into it. So, if you order a dry martini. Um, it's going to be gin with like a, just a little tiny, tiny bit of, of dry vermouth in it. Um, if you order a bone dry martini, um, 
then that's no vermouth at all. Um, a lot of people will do an in-and-out martini, which is where they pour gin into the glass and swirl it. I mean, I'm sorry, pour dry vermouth into the glass, swirl it around, dump it out. That's absurd. Um, yeah, it's not a, like an absinthe wash. It's just you ridiculous. You can't really do a thing. Yeah, it, it's become yeah. in vogue to you know to have the, the, the drier the martini has been. Right, the whole jokes about for you years know, and years and years. Set the little vermouth dropper next to full your, and yeah, yeah, yeah. just. Shut the hell yeah. up. That, yeah, that's no. agonizing to me. Um, I like a wet martini. Really? I feel that vermouth and, and gin just do this really fucking great thing together. Right. And, um, I mean, I you know, the traditional martinis were like a third or a fourth vermouth in comparison to, to gin. So they were very vermouth heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, very, the very first time we start to see martinis show up, um, they were maybe two parts gin, one part vermouth, and usually some sort of orange bitter. Fascinating. Um, which which I love that if you oh, if you got I never a great put bitters in martinis orange yeah. bitter and and fees orange bitter is my go to for making a great martini mm-hmm. um, try that man I put, put a ton of that stuff in my Manhattans but I've never oh, put yeah. it in a martini okay yeah. it's it's great just a little bit like a shake mm-hmm. um, but two parts gin one part vermouth a shake of um, fees mm-hmm. stir that bad boy up shake of orange fees stir that guy up real good until it hurts your hand it's so cold. And then strain it into a cocktail glass, and my goodness, just can't get any better than that. What's your garnish of choice? Then? I it depends. Um, I do tend to be um, an olive person. Um, I do have twists from time to time. Mm-hmm. I know that the olive seems weird with you know. Sometimes it's wonderful, though. I, I mean, it. it really hits that that savory spot. Yeah. And then sometimes I'm just not feeling it. I mean, it all depends. I feel like if it's brunch time, I'm probably going to have a twist. Yeah. Um, if I'm having it before dinner, then I'm probably going to eat that olive after I finish the martini. It kind of gets me ready to mm-hmm. to go. Um, what pretentious assholes we sound like right now, <laughs> by the way. Um, but, you know, oh, I am what I am. It's, it's <laughs> so important it to really... respect alcohol in the way that... You know that classic cocktails allow you to. Man, I feel I like that's agree more. the most important thing about learning to drink is like, just and you know, then and then it. you rift exactly. when you understand the, the where you, when you understand where, where you know generations have brought us to these perfect mm-hmm. recipes mm-hmm. and and you know as a bartender you, you you really need to understand where these things are coming from mm-hmm. and then you have the ability and the knowledge to start to rift on those drinks. Exactly. And then, yeah, once you can like really feel what gin is and what it tastes like. Couldn't agree more. You have, you said you'd been writing for free times for what, 10 years now? Close to 10 years. Yeah. I had just started off sort of doing little food writing, you know, news and then and you're not from stories. Here, right? No, I moved here for grad school like 16 years ago. So, I've seen a fascinating trajectory of Columbia's food Isn't scene. it a, mm-hmm. um I, I I I imagine a lot of that has to do with the the culinary scene in Charleston. It's now kind of very difficult to make a restaurant work there. It's it's so yeah, I think it's partly that, but I think it's honestly generational. I mean, for so long, yeah. the fine dining restaurants in Colombia have been, I mean, and some of which are wonderful, but like fairly traditional, fairly like new Southern mm-hmm. type. Um, I think, you know, people our age and younger are more interested in just, you know, diversity in being a little more challenged sure the market's demanding a little little bit of an interesting so I think that now that people like us have enough money to go out to eat Mm -hmm. more it's just changing yeah so I think that's a huge thing also we see it reflected like we do you know the best of Columbia awards every year Mm -hmm. um, at free times and like never won one of those Let's work on it. Don't really know anything about that. <laughs> well, uh, seriously, but like up until like five years ago, I mean, Olive Garden would always win Best Italian. Yeah. Or, you know, McDonald's Best French Fries. Like, that is not the case anymore. Right. Um, and those are, you know, obviously not rep- representative of everyone, but like, they were pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Up until very recently. Yeah. So I think people are just changing what they want to eat here. So, but yeah, also Charleston. People are going to have we're, to bail on Well, we're seeing a lot. We're seeing some restaurant groups come down and, yeah. and open up some some um, some restaurants. Uh, Oak Table, for example. Yeah, um, although even they took a little while to hit their stride. They sure did. Right? Yep, um, sure did. The, the food was just a little uneven, even for the first, like, 
year, year and a half. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Right. So once they kind of nailed down salting issues and pricing issues even, mm-hmm. I feel like they came in with Charleston prices. I don't know that they've knocked them down a lot, but maybe they've just rearranged things to make it work a little better for Columbia. Yeah. What's your favorite What's your favorite new restaurant here in town? New restaurant. So Meaning a couple year or two. A couple years. Um, I mean, Tallulah is really doing some cool things. Tallulah's Very great. Very excited about yeah. them. Um, I'm excited about Lula Drake's food program mm-hmm. because it kind of came after their wine program, and now they're just sort of starting to roll Which out. I think is really great because yes. that was his expertise exactly. and that was his passion. Um, and I think it was, and I think that, you know, I've, I've been there a few times, mm-hmm. and the food has was like, it was it was meant to pair the wines. It was right. taking a second seat to the wines. Right. And doing so in such a, I mean, when you go to Lula Drake, you're, you're going there to drink some interesting wine. Right. It's never going to be like food ahead of wine over there. You know? It's a wine bar. Right, right, right. But there are going to be more cool specials and more sort of seasonal things happening. And yeah. Well, how do you like Warmouth? I love Warmouth. I love Warmouth too. I do. I feel like you can't just do, and you're going to be in the same kind of position, you know, they're barbecue, but you also have to do other stuff if you right. have... And you I know, wouldn't a consider and them a barbecue restaurant. restaurant. Right, right. I mean, they've got the pits. That was a big part, I think, early on. I mean, they've got the pig in their logo. Right, but, like, yeah. you have to be other things as well. Unless you're, you know, like a South Carolina barbecue restaurant that's, right. that's been here for 30 years or that is doing that specifically. Right, and I think there are a couple of new, um, like, definitely traditional barbecue restaurants opening up or have just opened up. Yeah. Um, there's that one um, that's got that, like, punny name about... Pot Smokers Barbecue. Yeah. yeah, we've got a couple new barbecue chains, actually neither of which I've been to, like Midwood and Is Pot, Pot Smoker a chain? I didn't realize that. Okay, I thought it was, I, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to I'm look back. I'm not sure. Okay, we should look into that. I know they've got, they're real punny. They've got some, like, you can smell our butts like a mile away. Like, I, man, I hate that. That's unfortunate. <laughs> that is not, <laughs> not the best. Let's talk about um, something interesting that you've just done. You just went for barbecue training. Oh, I did. Tell me about that. I've got some feelings about that. Yeah. So the South Carolina Barbecue Association, um, they are this really elaborate organization in terms of how hard it is to become a barbecue judge for them. Um, So I went to their training expecting to get like trained on, you know, what they think is good barbecue. Right. No, no, no. They... You have to go to this day-long seminar, but then you have to sit as a novice on the tables for, you know, four different barbecue competitions, and then then you're a certified judge, then you get... It's really elaborate. I like that. There's some due diligence there. They are. They are. Um, But it's just a fascinating scene in that it's, it's this small little slice of culture that you know doesn't really represent all of barbecue culture obviously right it's mostly you know mostly white folks mostly people with some like leisure time to like trick out their barbecue rigs and go to these competitions and you know kind of make a run at you know being the state barbecue champion or something um and it's a also, the organization itself is run by Lake High. Are you familiar with him? I'm not. Okay. He used to um, chair the South Carolina chapter of the League of the South. So that doesn't sound great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. That sounds a little no. questionable to me. Yeah, yeah. So he was real well known as a secessionist before he, Ooh, yeah, yeah. Before I don't he like formed sus- the state barbecue. I, li- I like America, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so that's just, I mean, fascinating to so see. So he's the, the head of the... Yeah, yeah. And he's what, still now, sort what's of like the organization? What's the, the South Carolina Barbecue Association. Okay. Now, I, Something tells me they're never going to be a big friend of mine. <laughs> like, something tells me they're going to do a quick Google search and quickly realize that I am not Yeah, you're not right what they call 100-mile barbecue. Barbecue yeah. you drive 100 miles for. I mean, I am barbecue you drive 100 miles for. I, you better... I agree with that. But, but I, they have that classification. Yeah, that's probably not... And, you know, there's some really good people affiliated with that group but then there's some like wow some some head scratching things going yeah. on so anyway it was it was fascinating i talked to some really smart chefs right um were most of things. these guys lay people or or were they in food industry i would say like of the chefs you mean yeah people making the barbecue well and the judges for that yeah. matter yeah so there were several several people i talked to who had like 
started sort of as competition folks on the road and then opened up a barbecue restaurant. So it kind of went in reverse. Um, like one guy I interviewed, really cool. Actually, he, he runs a barbecue place up in Blythewood. And he had started as like a basically like hobbyist, you know, just like smoking with his friends. Sure. You know, and then uh, kind of did the circuit and like made a run at the championship and stuff. And now he does like barbecue catering and has a restaurant and stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's that common for someone who's like trying to make money off you know, selling their food now, to now, also do this competition circuit. Now, is it like the sort of big national and, and international where uh, barbecue competitions where there's like big money at stake, where there are a couple of big prizes? I don't know the size of the pots, but yes, definitely. Like like that guy I was just talking about, he, you know, he made like $7,000 one year and, you know, the, the competitions he won. He spent like more than twelve thousand dollars, right. of course, like yeah. <laughs> driving all these things. Um, so there's big money, but so the the way it works is if you it's wanna, not a business venture though, it's something no, you're, you're doing for the love of it. No, absolutely. You want to like hang out with your buddies and watch TV in your RV and like stand around drinking beer all night Friday while your pig's smoking, and then serve it to the judges. Talk about the good old days of the Confederacy. <laughs> you, know? you know, work on your sheets. That's not good. <laughs> man, I, it, I mean, the reason I'm like, eh, it's, yeah, there's, I'm sure there's some of that because there's, you know the dude heading the organization but you know there are people who just want to make some barbecue. make some good barbecue also there are like so if you want to start a barbecue event you find a some group who's going to like certify and judge your event right so there are there's a like a sort of rival barbecue association in south carolina now that started up in 2010 huh so you could go with them what what are they called um the southern barbecue network Interesting. Or you could go with, like, um, the Kansas City Barbecue Society. Yeah, more of them. Yeah. So they're the ones that have, um, like, the silly garnish requirements, you know? Right, Like, yes. you have to have a, a perfect bed of the right size parsley. Right. Or else you get disqualified. So there's a lot of that. Hogwash, pun intended. <laughs> yes, like, that's the barbecue competitions that I'm kind of familiar with, where they're these very sort of stringent and somewhat arbitrary, I think, mm-hmm. um, requirements that are that. I mean, I I was talking to you earlier before. I, I, when I think of barbecue to- competitions, I sort of think about it in the terms of like dog shows, mm-hmm. in that there are these very very specific guidelines that qualify your Italian greyhound as being the you know like inches of forearm or foreleg or what have you. Right. And I feel that that's most of the, most of my understanding of barbecue competitions tend to be that way where mm-hmm. it's, they're not looking for any kind of nuance. They're looking for standards and perfectly executed standards, which, you know, right. I guess has and its I, place. And I think, okay, so I think that's something really positive about the South Carolina Barbecue Association is they don't do any of that. They don't tell you, here's what your pulled pork is supposed to be like. If it's a pork butt competition, they're not going to specify sauce. They're not going to specify, you know, chopped or no, or, you know, it's the event is going to provide pork butts. Everybody does them their way. And the oh, judges... and everybody gets a, a, everyone's using the same pork butt. Yes. That's nice. I like it that. It is. Yeah. yeah. So it's really is what you're doing to it and stuff. You can sauce it or no. And the judges are judging not to some standard, but to what they think is... Taste the best. Yes, yes. I like that. And you know, texture. Secessionism be damned. I do like that. (laughs) So let's talk about Bull Street. So that's that's the uh, very controversial, um, big Columbia project. I guess not a bigger project's been. Taken on by Columbia since, um, I don't know, the Vista revitalization, maybe? You know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is a larger land area, um, and it's all sort of under the general control of one developer. So I think it's just different yeah. um, in a lot of so ways. So what are your, so so as, as, you know, in disclosure, I don't think anybody doesn't know at this point, that's, we, a uh, bone-in barbecue is going to be the first restaurant um, and I believe the first retailer period yeah. to to move into Bull Street neighborhood, um, we've 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 gotten some a little bit of a kickback from <laughs> from uh, yeah, like what? What are people saying? Um, well, I know there was some old codger <laughs> online that are <laughs> at some uh, community meeting. I'm not going to mention any names. Who said I'll be damned if I eat in a morgue. 
Um, that has nothing to do with taxpayer money, but he just found it so un, uh, uh, unacceptable, the idea that he's eating in a former morgue, which, of course, is nonsense. I mean, you know, we, we, we've cleaned it up. <laughs> right. I mean, everything's been right. pulled out of there. Um, what have you heard? Well, I feel like things... I feel like the conversation has shifted a lot. So I've, you know, basically been a reporter the entire time that the Bull Street thing has been coming online, you know, since getting all the zoning in place, Mm -hmm. the state actually selling the land to the developer. Um, And then just in the last couple years, you know, the development folks said that there were all these retail businesses, you know, signed on and ready to go, but then that we still haven't heard what they are. Um, I feel like... A few years ago, there was a lot of, yes, there were naysayers, but there were also people who were kind of excited about the potential. Mm-hmm. It's been some some really beautiful land and some beautiful yeah. structures that have been sitting there, yeah. falling into disrepair for decades. Right. But now that things are like happening faster, I think people are frustrated that they're not happening even faster. With a magical nod of the head. and Right. But with some... With some justification. Like, I think people are a little bit justified in being frustrated because, you know, five years ago, we knew this was going to be like a really long range project, you know, right. that was going to be built out over decades. But then, you know, Hughes Development started saying like, oh, yeah, we've, we've got retailers that are going to come on. Things are going to start moving. That hasn't quite happened yet until, you know, we've got the ballpark. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Won some, Everybody won some pretty is. darn good. Pretty, pretty big accolades nationally think, with that phenomenal yeah. space. Yeah, I think it was a huge, huge year for the park, um, you know, because it showed that, like, and, and last year was successful. This was more successful. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do believe that the the project is still on, on, uh, is still on track with the original estimate, cor- it is. correct? It is. I just, I feel like... In ways both justified and not, people now want to see, like... A restaurant move in. Well, (laughs) they do want that. And they want some stores and some, you know... There's some residential stuff that's been announced lately Mm -hmm. that's going to happen. I think... I guess what I'm getting at is, like, in, in a funny way, like, having some success makes the lack of total success yet seem more dramatic (laughs) you know kind of highlighted that when it was just a blank slate it was kind of like okay that'll be cool someday Mm -hmm. and now that things are happening we want more um what do you personally feel like is is not like what are your feel like uh so you say just there's some justifiable reasons as to why people might be upset what what, what are those reasons is it literally a matter of, of it's just not happening fast enough i mean the thing i was specifically referencing and i'm trying to remember the exact number um, but, you know, at a press conference a couple of years ago, one of the developers said, like, you know, 45 retail outlets or something like are coming to mm-hmm. Bull Street. There, there was some specific number tossed out there. Um, that doesn't seem to have happened. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think I think maybe expectations got a little bit ahead. And, you know, whatever. People get excited. They say things. They get ahead of themselves. But, um, no, I mean, in terms of like, so I've been to several ball games. I like it. It's a beautiful It is. It venue. is. I mean, I think the hard part for Bull Street from my perspective is going to be getting it to a point where it's walkable and like walkable too, or that I can somehow take some sort of little city shuttle over there, you sure. know, that it's like. We're a driving town then. Right. I mean, we all have we cars. It's hard as heck to find parking on Main Street. Yeah, it is. Um, we don't seem to get how parking garages work in this town we don't seem to understand that it's crazy um because in reality there isn't a hard time parking on main street Mm -mm. you just have to go into that structure um Mm -hmm. i mean it's certainly nothing like the the horrors that are happening on the vista of having to pay you know you gotta take a loan out to park your car on a friday night Mm -hmm. and apparently i mean i've had one restaurant person in charleston tell me like their staff cannot park downtown anymore like (laughs) <laughs> it's too expensive, yeah. you know. So, so yeah, no, it's there'll be oceans still, of parking at a <laughs> at Bull Street. Yeah, there it's will big. be. There will be. There's, um, just, there's a lot to happen. I think it's very exciting, but I, I also get that now that people are starting to go out there for various reasons, mm-hmm. they're like, holy shit, there is 
a long way to go, <laughs> right? In right. terms of earth moving and sure. infrastructure, right? Everything. Um, and they're also one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm obviously biased. <laughs> you <laughs> no know, shit. Um, I'm obviously a biased guy about this thing. I've been working with the Hughes um, company, mm-hmm. you know, through this whole process. They're just fun. They're great people. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know. We all know the the beauty that is green downtown greenville and, the, and other works that they've done are just stunning i can't imagine yeah trusting someone else with you know Couldn't a project more. like this so and these I, are great people and, and and you know they, they they specifically with you know i feel i feel more than honored to be trusted mm-hmm. and there's also some pressure there to be trusted to coming into what is arguably one of the flagship structures mm-hmm. of bull street which is the Inzer building yeah um it, 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 it's it's a big deal that they would trust me, but but you know I had a conversation with with um, with Robert Hughes, and um, he, you know he, he told me like you know the, we really wanted something signature to come in, mm-hmm. we really wanted something that encapsulated Columbia, you know the last thing we wanted was for some national chain to come in, um, and and I really respect that. Yeah, um, I feel like that's exactly what they do need, you know, um, I and. You know, it's been a phenomenal experience working with them. I, I hear, I'm just now starting to hear a, a lot of, because, you know, I mean, I, I try to stay involved in, in local politics as much as I can, but I'm a simple guy. I make sauces for a living and I, and I work, you know, 90 hours a week. I don't have a lot of time to, to go to, you know, council meetings, et cetera, et cetera. I realize that now I have to start doing that. Um, Maybe. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of fucking kickback. There's a lot of angry... Well, taxpayers. Yes, yes and no. I mean, it's super easy, and we always have to watch out for this in in reporters to mistake like the loudest voices for representing the majority. Yes. Okay, so there are Agreed. people who are angry about Bull Street. Some of them might write opinion columns for free times, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't think that that means that the average person on the street is like, you know, angry about Bull Street. Sorry, there's this nasty. There's a fruit fly in, in, in this in this studio right now. Yes. It's all about your lip gloss. <laughs> um so yes, I don't think that everybody, you know, hates Bull Street. I do think again there's some pressure. Pressure's on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even more now, I mean, I've had a conversation with multiple people since your project was announced so, about so, like it can really you you talked about people specifically about bone in yeah who, can, oh. can, are you at liberty to say who oh no i just mean like people on the street other reporters what have you heard <sighs> let's go uh, with the kind, fun negative stuff i know <laughs> what we're saying no just that like there's an enormous amount of pressure on you to bring people over there on a day-to-day basis and uh and that's scary, you know, yeah. that, and, you know, hopefully there'll instantly be other retail there that'll, you know, kind of take some of the pressure off. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Bull Street has ended up developing in weirder ways. You know, for a while there was going to be maybe some student housing that seems to have been scrapped. You know, now we've got the senior housing and stuff. It's just, it's kind of evolving as an idea, but the basic idea of it being like somewhere cool that people want to shop and eat and stuff. But I'm very excited about, you know, the opportunity, even as I'm saying it, Eva, to be the first retailer, not even the first restaurant, the first retailer. Yeah. It's, I mean, besides like the Mason Jar, isn't that the name of the, uh, uh, the little shop okay, out good. there? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, Mason Jar is part. the first retailer. I've bought a t-shirt there, you know. Yeah, good for you. It did not have Tebow on it. We're we're in a we're in a post Tebow time. We are. Was Tebow even an, an option? You know, it was. You know, I had no idea. You, do you know that's? I mean, that's why he was playing is so that they could sell some T-shirts. You know? I had no oh, freaking idea about any of this stuff. I, I you know, I, and and I'll be honest, I, I didn't know who Tim Tebow was. <laughs> I'm not shit, a sport, really? I'm just not a sports guy. Wait, wait, wow. I play video games and I make sauces and I have a greyhound and that's pretty much my life. Still living in a southern college town. I just have I never mean, been. SEC, I just that's never tough. been. You know, my dad is like Mr. Football. He was like football all star quarterback of the team. Like that's not me. And, and you know, no offense to that. I know how important that is to our economy down here, but you know, it's just never been me. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you know, but like you know, the New York Times came down. 
um, when for the first game, yeah, and I, I had the truck out there, and like you know, the New York Times reporter came up, and I was like, "Hey, what's up? You know, can I sell you some barbecue?" And he was like, um, "It was like it's like no, but but tell me about. Are you here because of Tim Tebow?" <laughs> and at that point, like I did, I had heard you know that that was a big deal, and I was like. Um, I, think I was like, no, no, I'm not here because of Tim Tebow, but I'm glad Tim Tebow was here. And he was like, well, what do you think about it? And I was like, well, at first I was confused because I thought he played football and I thought maybe I was in the wrong place. But then um, I realized that there's some crossover happening here. And I was like, now my goal is to get as much barbecue into Tim Tebow as I possibly can. And then in the New York Times, they printed um, the Scott Hall wants to get barbecue in Tim Tebow. Yeah. And it was... Um, you know, I mean, that was pretty cool. Like, oh, I was in New York Times, yeah. It was a little bit, I don't know, homoerotic. I don't even know. Like, I thought the, so. The, the, I enjoyed uh, the, it. The, the way that it was said was maybe not the most, you know, my, my maybe maybe if I had a PR company working for me, they would have helped correct my language, but. Oh, it was perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, we're, uh, we're an alternate <laughs> kind of barbecue. So, so my question to you then yeah. is, does, and I know that you're, you know, as, you know the free times is is you know you're you're you've got some journalistic integrity. You've been a mainstay in in, in Columbia for as long as I can remember. Do you take a stance like as a like to, as a as a institution? Are you pro Bull Street? Are you? No, oh, no. I mean, I think we we approach it like covering anything in Columbia. I mean, you know, certain of us may have opinions about it or whatever, but no. As as an outlet, I think we're just trying to cover. What about you personally? Me personally? I mean, really, what I just told you. I mean, do you think things are going well? I do. I do. But again, I think that the current current acceleration is making people think that there should be even... There have to be enough things for people to regularly head out there. And like, you know... I'm just, I'm worried that if they don't put some other stuff in there, then you're going to be that one thing out there. You know, people are going to go to... You're a good thing, though. You are a good thing. And I'm being brutally honest. No, no, of course. For the purposes of the podcast, when you prove me wrong, this is going to be very important. We want, I don't like that you just said prove you wrong, because that is making a stance. (laughs) And you feel like things are going in the wrong direction. No, I don't, I don't. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people, talked to a lot of resale, re, uh, uh, real estate developers and, and real estate agents mm-hmm. uh, when, before I signed that lease, before I made that monumental. I got to tell you something. There have been a lot of moments in my life where, where like, the world has pivoted. Not a whole lot of moments, actually, now that I think about it. There's been a moment or two <laughs> where the world has pivoted on a single action. And, and I, um, when I signed that document, that lease, that was one of those moments it's terrifying. It was terrifying. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, you know, my husband's in the service industry. Like, I can't imagine... It's a roll... I mean, everything... Opening is a, a bar It's a roll of dice, yeah. Just, but, like, yeah. you know... If fucking Philip Blair can do it... No, I, just, <laughs> I love you, Phil. Just kidding, buddy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it Me was... Too. It was it was a rough... It was scary, there was this moment where I went there and I stood in front of these two huge garage doors that they just put in that like open up the restaurant to the outdoor cafe. And I was, you know, you know, next to, um, this amazing, um, person named Chandler, who's like the, one of the, one of the right hand people of, um, of Robert and Bob Hughes. And, um, you know, she's kind of looking at me and like the, the, you know, we, we see this, this structure and everything's kind of coming together and the building, the ends are building, which is where Bone In will be. It's just so freaking beautiful. It's so stunning. And I just, I like tears welled up in my eyes oh. and it was like, like everything I have done in my life has been moving up to this moment. Even partially listen to her. She's starting to whine about this. I mean, I'm a, it's a very proud moment for me. I love Columbia. Yeah. I love, and I believe in Columbia. You know, I, like, I, I think we're the new Austin. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I believe in this town. Like, I think that we are on the precipice of a renaissance in this town. And it's a, you know, we've always been, like, mockingly called the armpit of South Carolina. You know, fuck no. that. No, it changed. It's already, we're, it, we're not, we're over the precipice. Like, I completely agree with you. 
Things have changed so much. So much. Decade. You know, a decade ago, most of the people I knew just complained about Columbia or they left because they were creative and wanted to do something else. That's why I left. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. People stay here. We're keeping our talent. Yeah, and people are like... We've got these beautiful fucking rivers. we got this stunning mm-hmm. architecture, this beautiful town. We've got incredible creative people that are doing amazing things. Mm-hmm. And for for good or for ill, whether or not I deserve it, like I have been like thrust into the opportunity <laughs> to be at the vanguard of... Uh, you know, and i got to say, like... It's all inspiring. It is humbling to the core. Um, it's it's scary, but it's also like riveting, you know. Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see if um, we'll see what happens. No, it's gonna be amazing. Like, I look I for really, the continued support of the free times, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I mean. When when this was announced, I did write it was a piece that a was a really cool article too. By well, the way, I, and I think it was a reflection of the fact that I do that, think that it's article a, also made me tear up. Oh well, it's a game changer for Bull Street. Like they made a good decision. I'll just say that. Nice. I would like it if for one, I've been uh, nominated now for I don't know five years. Uh, I would like for once to win something in Free Time's Best Of, which is coming up, right? It is um, August 23rd. August 23rd, yeah. Everyone will find out. If I don't win, do I still get tickets? I bet we can work something out. Can we work something out? Yes. Okay, good. All right, guys, I'm here with Sam Suadam. He is the uh, managing partner at uh, Bon Suan, uh, uh, pro- undeniably the, the best Thai restaurant here in town, um, a legendary restaurant here in town, um, also in charge of the bar program. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, talk a little about that, mostly, mostly because I just really want the, the audience to hear that stunning golden Baritone. I mean, li- I mean, this guy, like oh, th- this old thing. Oh, oh my gosh! Oh, I only drag it out at parties. Like honey and agave dripping from a bear's mouth is that is that voice of yours? Oh, you do go on. <laughs> um, Sam is a dear friend. Uh, probably, undeniably, one of my favorite experiences in Columbia dining is to sit at that 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 small bar at Bon Suan and just have you uh, serve. You know whatever happens to be in your cooler at the time, like really interesting things that you found. You've got arguably one of the most creative and interesting wine and beer lists in town. Um, I know that you're really hands-on with that. Um, it's, it's, it's literally probably my favorite place to sit down and have a two-hour meal at. Well, it's very sweet of you to say. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is how communicative you are and how communicative we try to be. Um, because, yeah, it's true that we do have a lot of really interesting, fun uh, wines and beers. But because you're able to articulate what it is that you like and don't like about what I might, I might pour for you um, really facilitates my being able to, I guess, accomplish the, the, the kind of the joy that you've experienced there. You're also really, really great at sort of pulling out. I mean, I've seen you do it time and time again with guests of mine and also with other people sitting at the bar. You're really gifted at pulling out someone's likes, someone who might not be prepared to uh, articulate what it is that they're looking for. I've watched you guide a customer to exactly the right glass of wine. And that is that is an extremely important gift for a seasoned waiter, a seasoned bartender. We're, we're all learning, and, and we're all in this wonderful state of... Um, uh, simultaneous ignorance and education and and i try to be very cognizant of that i tried never to you know 
dangle what I know over anybody. I, I, I want to try to find some kind of common ground uh, where we can talk about where it is that we want to go with uh, the drinks and with the meal, whether they should um, complement each other or whether they're just looking for something to drink beforehand or during or after, or if they just don't care, which happens enough that it's like, well, I, ha I have to understand as much as I love my beers and my wines, every so often I do encounter somebody who just doesn't care. And I have to learn also not to care. Full disclosure, Sam's a dear friend. We have been through some ups and some downs. We have uh, partied hard together in some pretty, you know, wacky, you know, banana scenarios. Um, you've always, uh, always uh, brought a good drink to me. And you've always led me to a good time. So <laughs> let's let's uh so some of the so Sam's going to be a part of a, a kind of a regular part of the podcast, um, and you're going to be bringing some really interesting beers and wines, uh, most of which I think are probably going to be from the Bon Swan program, mm -hmm. which is delightful. Yeah. Um, what are we drinking today, Samuel? Right. Well, <clears throat> um, primarily just going to want to begin with saying that um, pretty much everything that I'm going to bring you uh, is going to follow with the uh, way that I decide for wines and beers for the restaurant, which is to say that they're food friendly. Um, my brother and, you know, my parents, uh, it's a family restaurant. Everything that they do is so carefully constructed uh, that I don't want to mess it up with having some incredibly huge, big red wine that will completely bowl over it or some incredibly oaky Chardonnay that may ruin the balance of what they're trying to do. So... One of the things that I try to emphasize is balance, um, cleanliness, acid, all things that I think a wine or a beer should have in some regard uh, in order to complement the food and also to uh, cleanse your palate. You, you know, and I just got to say that that kind of continuity in tone is so clear when you walk into Bon Swan, and I, I don't just mean the menu um, and the food and the, the beverage program. I mean the design, the, the way that you train your staff. I mean, it's it's this very cohesive experience. Um, I, it, it's it just it's it's perfectly integrated. You guys do it so good. Um, it's a it's a big honor to have you here. Yeah. Uh, what's what, also also an, an, another fun little thing? Um, I don't know if you still do this. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm I'm wrong about this. But one of the the fun things that I found when I when I first moved back was that your wine list was written in haiku form. <laughs> and and some people might say, well, that's gimmicky or whatever. But like it's so sort of intract with like the the sort of ideology of your restaurant. It's very sort of like calming and minimal and expressive and uh it, it just it felt so right rather than like just this silly sort of like it, it seemed it seemed utterly appropriate that that your wine descriptions were haikus i think it's a wonderful way to put that because that's exactly what i want them to be calming expressive and minimal because i do have a lot of and we'll, we'll, we'll try uh you know one today but really off the wall obscure uh grapes that i think are fantastic um, but if it's an incredibly busy night, my staff may not have the time to give 10 different descriptions of obscure wines. And I don't right. want to leave people out in the dark because they haven't heard of a Veridicchio or they haven't heard of a Moretu blend. So I do have these little haikus and they are supposed to be, you know, calming in the sense that it's okay. Well, all right. It, 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 it's not this fancy notes of charcoal and leather kind of a thing. Um, it's supposed to be expressive because I, I only have, you know, five, seven, five syllables in which to uh, express, hopefully, a feeling and a description. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's trying very hard to um, demystify and encapsulate what I think that wine should uh, express. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you, sh that you chose such a like oppressive format like, or not oppressive I, I should say a, a stringent one with very specific you know well, I'm very I'm very much in love with that um, the, the, the idea of, of um, the haiku and in particular the English sonnet I mean for years I wanted to have uh, and I still do want to have a tattoo of a scansion of an English sonnet you know um, because I, I honestly believe that like, look at how many um, rigid structures that gives you and how many beautiful things have been said within those confines. And, and I think that's how we should all be living, aware of, of the confines in which we live, but 
being able to express as fully as we can, and even more so because we're forced to be more creative. Uh, and that, that, that's that's definitely something that I, I feel like is part of the wine list, you know, as, as well, and part of the beer list. And uh, wow, you know, one of one of the pillars in, in which you know the, the restaurant survives. To quote Pam from Archer Sploosh. Um, uh, let's, let's get right to the tasting. <laughs> phrasing. <laughs> phrasing. Uh, what are we, what, what's, what's first up to bat here, buddy? Alrighty. <clears throat> Marangano Lugana. So, uh, this is a white wine out of Northern Italy, out of the, uh, the Veneto region, out of uh, a little town called Verona, if I understand correctly. Um, the grape itself is a variant on Verdicchio. On the back, I think it says Turbiana. There's other another way to put it. So what I love about Northern Italian white wines is that cleanliness and that balance. Alpine wines, mountain wines in general, tend to have uh, a kind of precision and a kind of focus that warm valley wines generally don't. Um, altitude, temperature all lend for that, lend, lend to that, um, focus. And so what you should be getting is a little bit of citrus, a little bit of, maybe like, um, almost like a very light almond mm-hmm. kind of a, a note to that. Minerality. Yes. Just like licking a stone. Um, and just clean, clean, balanced, acidic, not like tongue-strippingly acidic like a, like a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, just like a delicate acid um, that serves to um, make your mouth water just yeah. a little bit. Um, this and, feels and, like, to me, like this would be wonderful with food. Like, this absolutely. would be great with food. Anything, you know, anything seafood, of course, but of course, I, th- I think even something like a, even like a light tuna carpaccio or... Um, or even 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 a beef carpaccio. I think if you if you get enough, uh, I think this with capers would be really nice. Yeah, anything with capers. Um, also, I think schnitzel. I think schnitzel would be really awesome with this. That's great, man. Cleanses the palate. Fried chicken, most anything I think. Would be I mean, it's chicken. it's yeah, it's very light and clean, but there's also some really interesting structure there. I mean, it's uh, there's some cl- complexity there. It's mm-hmm. delightful. <clears throat> this is one of those that I think counts as. Um, if you want to think about it, you can. There's plenty to pull out, but if you just want to drink it, it's it's um, it, it's it's not asking too much. Of it. Yeah, I mean, I could certainly see myself um, poolside uh, with a jug of this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this comes Absolutely. in a jug. I suspect it doesn't. You know what? You can get a jug and put it in it. I'm going to get a jug, and put it in because I'm also probably going to be in a Budweiser two piece. Very good. Um, which is a you know, it's a summer look that I. Would like to pull off with this wine. It's a top um, and socks. Yeah, yeah. Totes. yeah. Uh, what's the name of this wine again? Um, Marangona Lugana. Um, is, how, is that what can be found? What's the grape? Turbiana. Um, it says on the back. Um, but is it the closest thing to it would be uh, a Verdicchio. Okay. Which is um, which I which I'm familiar with the Verdicchio. I find that tends to be like very like uh, kind of light and simple. Most of the ones that I've mm-hmm. drank. Sometimes yeah. um, the production of the wine has a little uh, effervescence, right? Um, I, I could certainly see the, the minerality showing that, and certainly the, the, the young ones do have that kind of zip, that the, kind of energy. Yeah, this feels yeah. certainly very different to me, though. Like, very weighted and... It's a more serious wine. Ah. Um, uh, the, the distributor who carries this, I think, does a great job of finding um, exactly what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, crisp, clean, acidic, mineral-driven wines that... Uh, that just do everything to, to, to augment food, or just an afternoon. Now yeah. you have a you um, we'd mentioned that you are one of the managing partners of Bon Salon, a mm. very celebrated Thai restaurant here in town. Um, how do you feel this wine works with the specific sort of nature of of the Thai food that you serve? I think it works incredibly well, um, because because of that uh, that lean quality. Um, even though it is it is weighty, it's it's a muscular wine, but it's it's like it's it's more lithe than it is bulky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to go with everything, of course, but with a lot of the things that you know Thai food is known for in terms of uh, the, those uh, high tone mm-hmm. uh, lemongrass, um, citrus qualities, sharp, bright acid that's mm-hmm. 
gone quickly from the palate, but strong and bright and aggressive. Right. Yeah. Um, imagine this with, um, you know, uh, with, with some, some of that lime leaf or, or uh, andors like some cilantro just bursting on there. By the same token, I think this would go great with um, like some really classic Mexican foods. Um, this with a classic taco with like a mm. thin sliced radish and cilantro on yes, top of it. Yeah, cilantro, definitely. Oh, I think that'd be fantastic. Fresh lime all over that. And, um, and you know, lime, of course, being a very classic. Uh, I'm gonna pour yeah. myself another little sip of this. Please, please do. Um, That's, this is one of my favorites. Yeah, this is great. Thanks so much. Um, we're for for your, this is our first podcast. It is. Um, we are gonna have Sam come back and do a little segment with us about the delightful wines and beers that he's been drinking lately. Um, later on in the series, we're gonna talk about some of the nuts and bolts of putting together a wine and beer program. Um, did did you did, did you put together the original wine and beer program at Bonsoir? <laughs> no, because that was a while ago, right? I mean, well, how I, old were you when Bonsoir opened up? Um, Bonsoir proper um, at, at the location where we are now, twenty one thirty five Divine Street, was two thousand. So I would have been seventeen. Is that right? So I, 20, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Who 18, you are now, 18, so 18. I'm, I'm thirty. I'm thirty-eight now, so I, th- I think uh, eighteen. Um, so no, at that point we were all in one person's hands, one particular um, uh, big house distributor, um, and you know they, they they did the best that they could. Um, so you sort of grow it, grew into this position. I did. Um, I, I, I grew into it. Um, really, actually, it began with um, one specific beer. It was, um, uh, a, a, a beautiful English ale that I tried at uh, Cafe Strudel. Hmm. I must have been 21 nice. at, at that point. And um, I loved it so much and I thought, I, w- I want this at Bonsoir. And I asked um, either Trip or Marilla, I can't remember who it was. I, I said, well, where, you know, from whom do you buy this? And she gave me the number of that particular distributor. I contacted them. Um, and they really helped to um, form my uh, beer and wine palette. Thankfully, they were... I say thankfully, just you know, on my bias. Uh, they were very old world oriented, and you know, when I say old world, what what I mentioned this wine to be, you know, balanced and lean and you know, acid driven. So, are you are you would you consider yourself to be self taught in your? Um, oh, by no means. I don't think do, do you have a self-taught. mentor. Do you have a mentor that really sort of took you under your wing? I yeah, under I, his I, wing rather. I, 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 <laughs> um yeah, I, I I do. I think um I think I think there were a few people here and there, but the punchline. On that one, it was, um, I, don't, I don't think you ever met him, but a man named Ed Hudson, um, who, who passed away about four years ago in a freak mode, uh, bicycle accident. Um, but he, I, I remember when I must have been 22, 23 at this point, I, had, I was just getting my feet under me wine-wise, and he would bring in what I would later, years later, realize, oh my god, those are, those are some amazing wines. Um, first growth, uh, you know, Bordeaux, Chateau Latours, and Mouton Rothschilds, things that I completely over my head. But what I learned from that was the joy that he got from sharing wine, the joy that he got from seeing me exposed to something completely new to me and something very complex. And I'm, I'm glad that he, I, that he saw what I guess he perceived the potential. Um, and then we got to know each other more, and, and then, uh, you know, we would spend more time with him outside of there, and he would open up, you know, other bottles of, uh, you know, wine and, and beer and, um, old, older wines and, and, and new, uh, Chablis and, and, and white burgundies. He really, um, got me wanting to explore wine even more, and he really got me appreciating the spectrum of wine, um, not just... You know, the expensive, you know, highly allocated, you know, uh, kind of uh, prestige wines that he that he had, but also, you know, like the the, the ten or fifteen dollar wines that, you know, uh, that he would easily find in, in you know online and at, you know, at this point and, and kind of show up saying, you know, can you can you believe that this kind of quality can be had at this price? Um, of course, this is also the guy who was buying, you know, fifteen dollar. Bordeaux in 1982, a, you know, a very classic year, in like 1985, because prices were very, very reasonable then, um, and then he held, he held on to them, he held on to everything, God, um, but uh, he, he really looked towards the future, 
in, in, in so many ways and, and he helped me to um, appreciate things in general. Well, you, you've taught me a lot about wine. I've, I've, uh, I, I had a, a mentor myself uh, when I was in my early 20s that, that took me down the wine road. Um, you're one of the, since I've been back in South Carolina, you're one of the most inspiring uh, wine and beer list makers that I've seen. Um, it's a great honor to have you here, and I, I look forward to talking with you every week. Thanks so much, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much. our first uh that's our first show guys i sure do appreciate your patience with any audio ticks and hiccups that we might have had i'm sure there was a few uh i want to thank eva moore executive editor at the free times columbia uh and my dear friend sam swodum uh managing partner bon swan also a shout out to justin weinberg for my logo you dog uh next week we have the illustrious Ann Postic. And we'll be announcing the sneak peek dinner schedule for the new Bone-In restaurant. Um, I'm going to do the least technical thing I can think of because I've been looking at a fucking computer for way too long. See you next week, kids. Fine. I remember when um, Twin Peaks came to to the Vista, yes. and I had never heard of that. I didn't know it was a, a chain, um, you know. And, and someone had actually said to me, "I think it's Twin Peaks themed," you know, meaning the the show. And I was like, "Well, that's kind of neat, but also kind of weird. Like, I don't really know How if do I you want do a that sports bar. That's yeah, I don't, Twin Peaks. Right. Themed. I don't know. Like, the log lady is like at the door. <laughs> um, then I found out that it was like a, a titty reference, and I was horrified. Like, I just think. I mean, for, for one of the flagship locations in the Vista, for it basically to be, like, named after, like, a fart joke, you know, intellectually, <laughs> I, I don't, I, you know, I, I, we can do better than that. Um, I just think that's, you know, I, I almost, I, I want to say, you know, time and a place, but I don't know that there's a time. We got strip joints, you know. I don't need to, I just, I don't know. It, it sits I, I wrong mean, with especially, me. Especially, that's a place in the Vista where you want to be able to like have a business lunch or something. So how do you, how do you have a business lunch at Twin Peaks? Right. right? And you know, I mean, I'm all for kids, you know, but like, I think, I think that, sadly, with yeah. with South Carolina government, you probably can very easily have a business meeting. Because <laughs> you're just five dudes. A bunch, bunch of white dudes yeah. ogling you know, the young girl who's trying to get through college. 